I went to the PNC Bank to open up a business account. I just remember being asked like, oh, do you have someone here to sign for you or with you? And I was like, no, like this is I'm doing this by myself. You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today you're joining us for a special live episode from earlier this summer. So everyone here at Indie Hall and a part of the Philly Podcasting Festival, please give a warm Philly welcome to Melissa Alam. <laughs> Melissa is an entrepreneur and freelance brand strategist. If you've ever grabbed coffee at La Colombe, cracked open a Budweiser beer, or swiped on Bumble, you've interacted with some of her clients. Melissa also founded The Hive, a co-working space for women, and she started FearlessCon, an annual workshop for women and non-binary entrepreneurs. Melissa's story is now live from the Philly Podcast Festival on Philly Who. Just a heads up, there is cursing in this episode. Support for this episode of Philly Who comes from Opera Philadelphia's Festival 019, featuring 12 days of zesty comedy, rare classics, and new music at venues across the city. Performances include the world premiere of Denise and Katya, an exploration of the dark side of social media based on a true story about teens who live-streamed their tragic deaths. There's also Opera on the Mall, a free broadcast of Puccini's La Boheme in front of Independence Hall. Festival 019, September 18th through the 29th. Tickets are available at operafilla.org. After Melissa Alam graduated from Temple University, she did exactly what she was supposed to do. She started looking for a job. I moved back to the suburbs for a year and I didn't have my license. So I got my license at like 22. And I just remember my parents would drive me to my job interviews. And I felt so bad. I felt like the laziest piece of shit. <laughs> like I was like, so they would sit in the parking lot while I was in these job interviews. And I remember the one job I ended up getting, which was at a local ad agency. My dad was like so patiently just waiting there for like an hour, listening to the radio. So when I came, I was like, to go home, his car wouldn't start because he was listening to it. Um, he killed the battery. Yeah, he killed the battery. So I had to go back in. I was like, we have to call AAA. It was just like a whole thing. And I was like, I need to get my license ASAP because I failed my driver's test like four times. After a year of job hunting, Melissa scored a full-time gig at an advertising agency. But there was one problem. She was bored out of her mind. Because there like was a lack of diversity there. Really? And they paid shit, so... And then I just, yeah, I started hostessing at restaurants. Before long, Melissa found another full-time job at another agency. Then she got bored, again. The thing is, Melissa was never used to staying still. Even as a kid, she was traveling from place to place I moved around a lot, kind of followed my dad as he got a different job every few years. So I lived, I was born in Ohio, lived in the suburbs of Chicago. I went to boarding school then in Connecticut. And then from there I went to Temple and I've stayed. So this is the first time you've stayed really in one place. Yeah, which is kind of, I don't know. I just feel a little antsy sometimes because I'm so used to moving and traveling and like being in the back of a car with like all this shit next to me and just like scrunched up. Let's talk more about your upbringing. What was home life like? 
Home life. Hmm. Sounds like start to therapy session. Um, let's that's see. what this is. Yeah. <laughs> right. So my parents are immigrants from Bangladesh and they came here in 87 and I was born a year after that. And yeah, I have two older brothers and they still live in Chicago, but we really grew up just kind of following my dad around. He had the opportunity to leave Bangladesh because he was getting his master's in England and then he studied in Canada and then got his PhD in Ohio where I was born. So we've just been following him around. He's definitely been a very big influence and supporter of what I do. And it's been interesting. My parents are very different. My dad has is very liberal and independent and intellect. And my mom is more traditional in culture. And it's been a very interesting dichotomy to have both of them as my parents and juggling like not being American and also being American because I'm, I live here and um, having my mom understand that and who I am as an individual um, isn't going to be who she wanted me to be as her daughter. I chose marketing as my major because it was the first like 101 class that I didn't have to cheat on and I still got an A. So I was like, maybe I'm good at marketing. <laughs> and I just like fell in love with advertising, marketing and worked in the traditional like ad agency realm after I graduated because I thought that's what you do and eventually quit and yeah. started my own thing. What were your impressions of Philly before coming here to study? So I came for a tour and I absolutely loved it because I was going, I was in boarding school in Bumblefuck, Connecticut. We had a gas station, a like Chinese food store and that's about it and like a post office. And so I came to Philly to tour and I loved it because I saw like every shade and shape and size of human here. Just the diversity was awesome. And I just remember touring Temple and hearing like ambulances. And I was like, wow, there's so much going on here. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, what was college life like? A party. I love Temple. Temple <laughs> made, um, it was awesome. I really just got out of my shell at Temple. I found people who accepted me because going to boarding school, I was, and also being the child of um, a faculty member. So we were called fact brats. It was like Gossip Girl, kind of what else? Every horrible movie just you hate of mean people. These are like kids my age that have so much money and they're born into privilege. And I wasn't. And I was just kind of like on the outskirts doing my own thing, had some different creative projects in high school. And Temple really helped me find my community and people who look like me and people who grew up like me. I wasn't interested in grades at all. I was I was more social and I joined a sorority, a South Asian sorority, just so I could kind of feel some cultural roots. And I used that opportunity actually for leadership. So to become like president and then from there became president of the Council of Multicultural Greek Organizations. So college to me was a testing ground for my leadership skills, honestly, and networking and building community outside of you know, studying every day at the tech center, which I never did. So yeah. it was fun. Now, it wasn't too long until you decided the nine to five life wasn't for you. Yeah, I lasted a year at the next job and I just got bored and I just showed in my work and I just wasn't like, I just, I knew I wasn't being beneficial because like my heart wasn't in the job. And I just up and quit saying I was trying to go on a journey, a spiritual journey or something. But I was still living three blocks away just in my apartment yeah. trying to figure out what to do. And I had like one paycheck left to cover me. So I just started scouring Craigslist and I found a hostessing gig at a Thai restaurant and I love Thai food. So it was like the best job ever. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, had you decided that you wanted to become 
a freelancer or did you just, you just weren't sure what was next? You were looking to just have some Thai food for a while and figure it out. Like <laughs> yeah. what was the thought just process? I wanted to eat pad thai every day. I actually got my first client the week I quit. A friend reached out saying she knows someone who has a local business where she trains dogs and they need a new website. And the reason she reached out to me was I was very active with a blog that I had at the time on like a wordpress.com and just obviously I've always been active on social media and just with tech and all that stuff. So she just reached out asking if I knew how to design websites and like I usually do, I lie and I said yes. And I learned, I just taught myself, I had all the free time in the world when I wasn't eating at this Thai restaurant or hostessing. So I learned how to build websites. And so I was just just a sponge for, and I still am just constantly learning this craft because I saw that I could make money just by like my own talent and working from home. And I love that. I loved having that freedom. So now in retrospect, it's clear that that's what you were meant to do, right? You, you've now built a career of being an independent sort of digital media savant. Did you have this confidence then that you were on the right track? Because when something like that happens, right, you, you, you're, you don't have a job, you know, you're not really sure what you're doing. You're maybe build this website for someone who helps out with dogs. Like, did you, were you confident in the direction you were going? How did you feel at that point? I think confidence has gotten me very far in my career. And I think it's, and I learned this honestly from my sorority days when we would practice being confident because you could sell anything and we could, it just stuck with me, you know, having that confidence. And I just knew that I didn't want to go back to a full time in between freelancing and starting that like independent journey. I did go back for a few months to work at another agency doing social media and I quit as well after four months. So that was like, okay, I tried again and it's not going to work out. It's up to me to figure out how to keep making money and paying rent. And I feel like the internet's kind of like the gold rush these days where you can just make money if you yeah. know how to. And I was just intrigued by that. I was also learning how to take photos better and, you know, investing in my equipment and any money I'd get from the side gigs I was working was going back into my business. So it was a mixture of me learning all of these new skills, going to events, networking, telling people kind of like what I do, creating that personality. And then me handing out like flyers in Chinatown or me doing like, you know, Keurig coffee samples, passing them out on like a Saturday afternoon for like 15 an hour. Like I was doing the random side gigs. There was one side gig where I was working for Elka-Seltzer and I was on a, a Segway in Chinatown and <laughs> it was like in the dead of winter. And I just remember trying to get off and I couldn't. And I just was spinning in a circle and hit a wall. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, well, maybe there's something metaphoric in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, no more Segways, please. Right. So how did your family react to all these different side gigs? And like, did they pressure you at all to be in any certain direction? No, I just, that was also another motivation is not going back home. I did not want to live in the suburbs at all. It was so boring. I just don't think my parents cared as long as I was paying rent and like happy. Obviously they didn't understand what I was doing because, you know, coming from a South Asian background, I think they want, you know, at least my mom say would want her daughter to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something. But I chose entrepreneurship and I think it's paid off. So yeah, they were, they were confused. You know, I, I left a great paying job with benefits and I still don't have any benefits, but <laughs> I'm so much more happier than, than I was or would be. 
So tell me about Femme and Fortune. What, how did, when did that idea start kicking around in your head? Yeah. So I went freelance in 2012 and then I created Femme and Fortune in my bedroom because I had always wanted to work for like a magazine, but I just didn't want another job or apply for a job that I wasn't going to get. So I wanted to create like a digital magazine. And so it came to me uh, one random night and I just built out a WordPress site. Um, I partnered with a girl I had met at a networking event to see if she wanted to run this with me, this concept. And we just started getting our friends to like write articles. And that's really what the reason behind it was. I was freelancing and going to these events and I couldn't relate to any of the people at these events because they weren't catered for me, like a minority female freelancer. And so I wanted to create that community for other women who are working from home or who have side hustles and want to meet other ambitious, creative women. And so there wasn't anything like it. And I took the honor of starting to create um, an option. How did you find these women to reach them? I would host these like Saturday afternoon coffee shop we called it beans and banter and we would have like a different topic. And at that time I was very involved in like the Philly blogger scene. So we would just post on Facebook and see who would show up and just have conversations about Pinterest or community building. And just, we'd had different topics and I would host my own events and see who would show up. And so I just started collecting emails and it just kind of grew organically word of mouth and also consistency helps as well. Yeah. So being consistent with, Posting on social media and hosting these events really helped. Were there any moments where you were like, holy crap, like this is really, this is really doing the thing, you know? I think that moment was in 2013. I hosted my first Philly Tech Week panel and like 70 people showed up, men and women for this panel. And it was called From Passion to Profit. And we interviewed three women who are local female entrepreneurs. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this works, you know? And it was awesome. Like, I think that was one of the biggest yeah. events that I've had and it paid. I got, I made money off of it. So. Yeah. Isn't it funny how once yeah. you're a freelancer, you're like, Oh my God, there's money. <laughs> so then at this point, are you thinking, cause you would go on to found a co-working space that was also specifically for women, right? So at this point, are you thinking that you're going to, are you looking for new ways to provide resources and space to this community? Is that where that idea came from? In 2014, um, I had a mentor at the time who had an office space here in Old City and she was getting rid of it. And at that time I was like, oh, I wish I had somewhere to work with other women um, or other freelancers. And it just, when she told me she was getting rid of her office, it was like $1,600. And I was like, I pay for my apartment $1,000. So if I move back home and got one more client a month, I could pay for this space. And then I decided to create it as a open shared office space because I just didn't want to work alone and more income, obviously. I was actually at a happy hour at Independence Beer Garden when I had the idea. And I was like, I'm going to start this brick and mortar in this office space in Old City. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to do it. I moved back home for two months to build it out. And I've just realized like my passion and drive comes from starting things, mm. ending things, not so much. Yeah, yeah. I get bored. But like if I have a new idea, I'm like all in and I'm super excited. But the hive was up and running for about 16 months. It was great. I had no plan. I didn't have a business plan. The first thing I made was obviously the website because I knew how. I just ran with it. So yeah. we had members come in. We didn't have too many. So I ended up shutting it down. But we had awesome workshops and events in the space and community. This effort got a ton of press. Yeah. Was yeah. that 
intentional or was it this type of thing that just kind of caught on? It was not intentional. I really? was like, I'm trying to figure out how to run a business, but most of my time was spent responding to press inquiries. It yeah. Was- because I mean, if you look, <laughs> there's one to four articles in almost every major Philly media outlet about when you were building that up. So why did that take off? Well, it was women only. So I think that was like a hot topic. And this was in 2014. It was like maybe the fourth or fifth female only co-working space in the world at the time. And so it was just how different the concept was. And it was also being run by this brown freelancer girl who has no idea how to run a business. So (laughs) I went to PNC Bank to open up a business account. I just remember being asked like, oh, do you have someone here to sign for you or with you? And I was like, no, like this is, I'm doing this by myself. I was 26 at the time as well. I think it was the concept and also the person behind it didn't look like your average, you know, person in a suit with funding. Right. So how did all this attention make you feel? Awesome. <laughs> I love attention. Yeah. I'm a Leo. So I'm like, That's yes. That's great. Not everybody likes that. <laughs> what did you learn about running and, and starting and running a co-working space that you wish you knew at the beginning of the venture? It, it was really hard running it off of money that I was making from my client work. One of the biggest things I changed is to have rent money already set or funding for the overhead set because at the end of the day, I just felt like a a hamster in a wheel trying to work really, really hard and get new clients and pay for this space so I can provide for this community, but I didn't have time to think big picture as well. So it was financially, it just didn't make sense for me to keep running it. So I would have loved maybe crowdfunding at least, you know, a few K to help me have like a kickstart. And I wasn't going to ask my parents for money either. So it was around for about a year and a half and then you made a decision to close it, Mm -hmm. to close it down. Was that a a hard decision to make? Yeah, it was. I mean, you, when you close a business, it's kind of like, you know, saying goodbye to a baby. And it's funny because after I closed it, I started getting requests to speak about failure. And I was like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) you just asked me last year to come talk about my successes. And now here I am at Fail Fest. (laughs) Like, so. Headlining Fail Fest. (laughs) Yeah. But I didn't see as that. I mean, I just see everything I do as like, R&D or a stepping stone towards the next big thing. And for me, it's, it was just like, okay, what's next for me to do, you know? And it's really reflecting upon what I enjoy doing and that was events. So, you know, continuing these events and workshops and also uh, Fearless Con, my conference was born out of that space to pay rent for a month or two, but also to create like a bigger event series or event concept. Sounds like the big idea was Fearless Con. Yeah. I mean, so far, so good. Yeah. Tell me about the birth of that idea. So it sounds like, were you like brainstorming ways to pay the rent and and have more events? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Of course. The space that I had for the hive was like two floors and I was just there every day, like late to like midnight or one. And I'd be in the basement just like, all right, what can I do to make money tonight? And it was awesome. And I am like a big believer in personal development and like investing in yourself. So I was going to a lot of conferences all over the country. And there was nothing in Philly. There was just like a void for a space or an event for creative women. And so I was like, let me create something. And it was called originally Fearless Philly Week because I was inspired by Philly Tech Week. And I was like, we'll have an event every day of the week. And that was over ambitious of me. And then I just decided just to host a one day conference. 
two weeks before the event, there's only eight tickets sold. And my friends were like, maybe you should postpone it. And I was like, maybe you should not be my friend. <laughs> so no, um, I was like, I have to do it. I can't keep postponing it. And it was a full house the day of. So I was like, okay, this is awesome. And every year since this would be my fifth year hosting, but every year since it's gotten bigger and better and more partners and more people want to help. And it's been growing. So. It sounds like the lesson there is that nobody buys tickets until the last second, right? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Philly. I've learned that. Learned that too. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been five years now. How have you seen the impact of your many women empowering initiatives? I've seen a lot of friendships and business relationships grow from women meeting at the conference. A lot of my friendships have grown from meeting, you know, attendees and speakers that come to the conference. And I also get client work from there. And I've realized, you know, looking at the past, like best of Philly list, a lot of my clients are on that list. So I feel like the impact has been like a gathering of people at these events, like in real life, but also me helping them afterwards brand them and create their voice and messaging and visuals as a strategist and designer. So it's been cool to see that growth. And honestly, the support, everyone keeps talking about it, reminding me like how much they love it, which is inspiring and helps me re-inspire myself about the conference. But this might be my last year hosting it. So, well, does that mean it's the last year it'll happen? I don't know. If someone else wants to take over, sure. I'm, I'm always down. That's always worth a conversation. <laughs> I grow my businesses with the ebbs and flows of my own personal life. And so I love traveling and I kind of want to travel for a while, figure some stuff out and see the world. But I don't want to pressure myself into or force myself to do something that I don't want to consistently do. What have you learned about fostering and nurturing communities built around, you know, human diversity? They're much needed. I also didn't want to pigeonhole myself with just women only events. I recognize how important they are. But last year I hosted a co-ed conference called Study Hall. It was dedicated towards, you know, the male and female creative class here in Philadelphia. These gatherings just bring together so many types of people and they inspire people and motivate them. And it just it's awesome to see afterwards. And to be honest, I usually just black out at my events because I'm just overwhelmed and stressed. And uh, I don't really remember much, but <laughs> from the highlights after, yeah. <laughs> like the next day I'm going through social media and just seeing how much people enjoyed it. And how do you feel when you see that? If I could cry, I would. You um, can't cry. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> So it's awesome. Recently, I've had conversations or panels for these events on being an immigrant and the obstacles you've had to overcome being a minority in this country. So I, I base a lot of the, the topics and conversations on what's happening in the world right now. That's what inspires me. So for this year, I'm actually thinking about doing a lot of panels or workshops on things like shit they didn't teach you in college, like how to buy a house, you know? I want people like experts in these fields to share their knowledge for the 150 women that come in the room or the 150 creatives that come in the room. So they actually leave with tangible advice and they leave with strategies and tactics and resources and then also accountability from the people also in the room, you know? So one thing I loved at my study hall conference, the co-ed one was we had like 20 minutes to spare or whatever. And I was like, all right, anyone have an ask, like come up on stage and say what you're looking for, maybe what you can provide. And so like two people like 
came up and they were like, oh, I'm a photographer and I can take photos, blah, blah. And then that inspired more people. And it ended up being like a 30 minutes long where there was just a line of people just stepping up being like, hey, this is my name and this is what I can do. And it, I, I was just like, okay, this is what people want. They want a platform. They want their voice to be heard. And they're also looking for help or to give help. And how can I be that catalyst for them? And that's the type of thing you're going to be going for for this year? Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It's going to be a surprise. <laughs> surprise to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Still planning. <laughs> yeah. Any advice for someone who's thinking about putting together events? Definitely know who your audience is, who exactly you're trying to reach. Partner with other people or brands that are also trying to reach that audience. Be very organized. Also, have a good follow-up game. I, and this is advice coming from someone who has the worst follow-up game, but prepare, you know, your thank yous before the conference or your big event so that you're going to be burned out by the end and forget to thank everyone. Just follow up with people so they can not feel like it just ended right then and there. So, I mean, I could go on about conference strategy all day. Yeah, yeah. Why has it been important to you to do all this stuff in Philadelphia? I feel like we're an underdog city. Again, like I see all these conferences or events and they're, you know, city tours and Philadelphia is like rarely on the flyer. And it's frustrating as a creative who wants to, again, like invest in myself and go to these workshops and conferences and have to go to D.C. or New York for them. But it's also such a great opportunity to be able to build in the city. It's already been done in L.A. and New York, but it hasn't been done in Philadelphia. So there's just so much room to be a big fish in a small pond instead of vice versa. And there's a lot of support. I mean, it's such a small city that you can get in contact with someone within one degree of someone else. I mean, if I can do it from, you know, my the pennies I've been saving or not and between my couch cushions, anyone can. What would you say is a common misconception about you? Ooh, that's a good one. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Yeah, these are the essay questions at the end. So take your time. Okay. It's like when you're you've got you great think, editing skills. You think so you're just, done with the SATs and then you're like, wait, I got to write four pages. Like that's what this is. Maybe people think uh, or the misconception is that I am shy, which... Sometimes I come off as shy, but I'm really not. I'm, I don't know. It's, that's a tough question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, all good. it's all good. Yeah. If you could send a message to yourself at the past at any time. So butterfly effect aside, cause everyone always says I wouldn't change anything. Cause then I wouldn't have what I have now. That's not the case. If you could send a message to yourself at any point in the past, where would you send it? And what would you say? I'd probably send it to the Melissa from two years ago and tell her to pay taxes and to, <laughs> invest in bookkeeping and getting my money in order yeah. because for me, obviously I, I love more of the marketing side of things, the business development, the money side just sucks. And so now I'm at a point where I'm creating this wealth and this brand and bringing in a lot of clients, but just figuring out taxes and accounting and all that other, like as an entrepreneur, you're obviously, you're spinning so many plates and handling so many issues. And I actually hired an accountant finally this year and invested in that because I'm like, if people are investing in me to build their website or design their, you know, social media and content, I need to start investing in other experts in the field as well. But I would tell myself prior, get your money shit together. Right. Melissa. What is one of the biggest challenges facing Philadelphia today? I'm on this committee right now. We're trying to create this global identity for Philadelphia. And it's so interesting that this guy came in with some research and he brought in this like graph, this pie graph of 
all of these different kind of words like innovation and powerhouses and cities that represent each of those words. And Philadelphia wasn't even on the map. And so his point was, hey, we need to be on this like graph. And so I think that's the biggest issue is kind of putting us on the map. And we have so much talent here um, and so much potential. And it's just working together as a team, which I think we do well as a city. Finally, if you could get one message to every Philadelphian, be it a tweet, email, plane in the sky, billboard, whatever it is, one message that every Philadelphian could receive and ponder, what would you say? Invest in local businesses and invest in minorities and invest in the people of the city. For more on Melissa and Fearless Khan, you can head to podphillyhoo.com forward slash alam, that's A-L-A-M, or check out the link in the show notes. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and tell a couple friends. It really does help. You can follow along on Twitter and Instagram at podphillyhoo, and you can join the email list at podphillyhoo.com. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was recorded at Indie Hall as a part of the Philly Podcast Festival, and was hosted and produced by me with associate production by the Indie Hall team, Angela Gervasi, Jackson Neal, and Lauren Hunter, editing by Max Graham, music by Lee Rosevere, and artwork by Lauren Carhart. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. Till next time. <laughs>